Good morning. Well, I'm excited to continue our study of the book of James. And we're going to start the message a little differently this morning. It's not something that I normally do, but we're going to read a children's book. And it's called Where is Wisdom? And it is based on a chapter of the Bible. Anybody want to guess which chapter? No. Job 28. Job 28, which we read earlier in the service. So let's read this. Where is wisdom? Look at this world the Lord has made. Beauty is all around. God filled the world with wonders and sent us upon a treasure hunt. Some treasures are easy to find. Others are buried away, hidden for those who seek. But hidden things can be found if we know where to look. The world is full of people who love to discover, to push back the darkness and find new things. They search far and wide to uncover treasure of every kind. And how good they are at finding it. Farmers work the dark soil and gather a prize of golden wheat. Miners dig deep to find troves of silver and gold. There's treasure everywhere. Burrowing beneath the mountains, explorers seek every precious thing. Copper, iron, sapphires, and sparkling gems in every color. What priceless prizes the Lord has given. In fields above, the beasts pass by without knowing what riches lie below. The lion prowls the earth and the hawk circles the sky, unaware of treasures buried deep. So much remains hidden to them. The treasures of earth have been given to mankind not to make us rich, but to show us how generous the giver can be. As good as these gifts are, God tells us to seek an even greater treasure, wisdom. But where is wisdom found? Where can we dig up understanding? Treasure hunters have searched high and low, but they do not know the way. They call down into deep caverns, Wisdom, are you there? The deep of the earth booms back. It's not down here. They call to the bottom of the sea, Wisdom, are you there? Bubbling up from the ocean floor comes the reply, it's not in me. Some men try to buy wisdom with silver and gold, but it is far more valuable than that. Its price is greater than diamonds and pearls. Nothing compares to the worth of true wisdom. Where then is wisdom found? We hear whispers of it, but no one seems to know where it is. Don't worry, wisdom is hidden, but it is not lost. God alone knows the way. He knows exactly where wisdom is found. How can God know? God made all things and set them in their place. He knows right where each treasure is found. He sees everything under heaven and has never lost a thing. And do you know what's even more amazing? God doesn't just see all things. He rules all things. To the wind, he says, blow that way, and the wind obeys. To the sea, he says, that's far enough, and the water laps right up to the shore. The rain falls where he sends it, and he charges the lightning bolt to light up the sky. If God can do all that, then he must be very wise. He can tell us where wisdom is found. He created the map that leads the treasure hunter to the prize. So what does God tell us? 
He looks down at us, his very own treasure, and says, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord, to know God truly, to be amazed by his greatness, to want nothing more than to love and live for him, that is where wisdom is found. And now that we know of this generous giver and the wisdom he provides, are we ready to see where this treasure hunt leads? After searching high and low through God's wondrous world, we'll never find a greater treasure than Jesus Christ. Wisdom points to him. Okay. Where is wisdom? That's also the title of the sermon this morning. When we started the book of James, we learned in his introduction that he was writing to a group of Christians who were familiar with suffering. And then when we studied verses 2 through 4, we learned that we need to stop looking at our trials and our suffering and learn to look through them to the good that God wants to use them for, to build endurance in us and bring us to greater maturity so that we may be lacking nothing, as he put it. And if you're familiar with the story of Job, you know that he was a guy who suffered. He suffered a lot. We read Job 28 earlier in the service, and it's an interesting chapter because it's kind of like an interlude between Job's final words to his friends. And, and Job spoke to them to defend his integrity because his friends thought that Job must have been being punished for some sin in his life. And he adamantly maintained that was not the case and Job was correct about that. Nonetheless, Job still struggled to understand the purpose of his suffering. He struggled to look through it because he couldn't see any good coming out of it at the time. Certainly, Job had no idea that, that his story would be foundational to our very own theology of suffering today helping us thousands of years later to understand God and ourselves and our suffering, helping us not to make the same mistakes as Job's friends. But nonetheless, in the middle of the trial, he needed something that he did not have within himself. He needed something that would help him look through it, keep his eyes on God, and actually maintain joy in his life. He needed wisdom. And so he asked, where is it? Where is wisdom? And thus we come to James 1, 5 through 8. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Lord, help us to, to listen to you this morning. Help us to understand. Lord, we ask for the wisdom to know what to do with what you are about to teach us through your word. God, I believe strongly that the truths through your word 
that I'm going to be sharing this morning are life-changing, that they could alter the course of our lives if we will listen and obey. And so we just pray that we would listen and that you would give us the wisdom to obey. I pray that anything that's causing us to not hear you clearly this morning, any barriers that we may have between ourselves and you would be broken down right now in repentance. That we would humble ourselves and just let you do what you need to do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So verse 4 had ended with the phrase, lacking nothing. And James had taught us to, to look through trials and let God use them to produce endurance and maturity so that we might not lack any good characteristics in our life. But jo James was no fool. You know, he was not naive about suffering or human weakness. You can imagine that his original readers read verses 2 through 4 and then were like, well, sure, James, this would be great. We would love to do this, but you know, it's easier said than done, right? Well, James did know that. He understood that we do lack things, and there's one thing in particular that we lack that often keeps us from being able to consider trials as joy, and that's wisdom. And before I go any further, I want to understand, I want us to understand what wisdom is and what it is not. Now, wisdom certainly includes knowledge, but it is not simply knowledge. Humans have learned all kinds of things, haven't we? It's amazing what we've learned. According to ZME science, the, there's enough DNA in the human body to stretch from Pluto to the sun and back 17 times. It's amazing. And that we even could learn something like that. It's amazing. The average person walks the equivalent of five times around the earth in their lifetime. We have learned that grasshoppers have ears in their bellies and that we can't taste food without saliva. Humans are more knowledgeable now than ever before in history, yet we are still so far from God. Kent Hughes put it this way, The fact is, man, through his vast accumulation of knowledge, has learned to travel faster than sound, but displays his need of wisdom by going faster and faster in the wrong direction. See, wisdom includes knowledge, but it moves beyond that to application. In fact, in the second chapter of James, he, he points out that even demons believe in God. I'll often ask people what the difference is between a Satan and a Christian. And, and many professing believers aren't sure how to answer that question at first. And here's the thing. Satan believes in God. His knowledge is beyond even ours. He believes that there's only one God, and that that God is the creator of the universe, and that Jesus is who he says he is. He believes in Jesus' perfect life, and death, and burial, and resurrection. So what makes me different from Satan? I repented and submit to Jesus as my Lord. 
Satan has knowledge of the gospel, even belief, but a Christian has the wisdom to repent. A doctor can have knowledge of the human body, but not wisdom to recognize who designed it and give him the praise and the worship that he deserves. A coach can have knowledge of his sport, but not wisdom to use it in his coaching. A gambler can have knowledge of his odds, but no wisdom to stop throwing his money away. A musician can have knowledge to play chords, but no wisdom to make music. A proud person can have the knowledge that they are wrong, but not the wisdom to humble themselves and admit it. A Christian can have knowledge of the gospel, but not the wisdom to understand how it changes every aspect of their lives, how it applies to their job and to their parenting. A Christian can have the knowledge that suffering produces endurance, but no wisdom to apply that truth in their suffering. John Piper points out Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And he says a good definition of godly wisdom, therefore, would be hearing and doing God's word. When I read that, I was like, oh, hearing and doing. You don't say think James might agree with that. See, when we understand that wisdom is hearing and doing, we ought to recognize that we don't have it within ourselves to accomplish what James is calling us to. We need wisdom. So where do we find it? Well, he says to ask God. That makes sense. He says we should ask God but I want to stop there and address this because I think that Christians often make a mistake about what it looks like to ask God. Now, James is certainly teaching us to pray. But we make a big mistake when seeking God's wisdom in our life is relegated to only personal prayer. See, personal prayer is one vital aspect of seeking God's wisdom in our lives. But according to the whole counsel of Scripture, there's more to it. That's not the only thing that we do to seek God's wisdom. Just like we could read James alone and come to the wrong conclusion and say things like, well, we need to work our way into heaven. No. We could also read this verse alone and come to the wrong conclusion that seeking God's wisdom is limited to personal prayer. When in fact, wisdom is found through Scripture, through God's people, and through prayer. We're going to see that Scripture teaches this. It's not just pulled out of thin air. First of all, the most concrete and clear way to find wisdom is through God's Word. Psalm 19.7, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, hint, hint, lacking nothing, 
equipped for every good work. You see, prayer is wonderful and necessary, but sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that we're listening to the Holy Spirit when we're just listening to ourselves. Many people who limit seeking God's wisdom to personal prayer end up doing things that are in direct contradiction to Scripture. They say, they say things like, well, God's telling me to leave my family for this other person. Or they say things like, well, I've been praying about this, and God wants me to be done with the church. I can serve God on my own. To which I can respond, hey, maybe you've been praying about this, but you're wrong about what God wants. Because it contradicts his will clearly revealed in the Bible. Second, not only do we consult God's word, but we also consult God's people. I love these Proverbs 11:14. Without guidance, a people will fall, but with many counselors, there is deliverance. Proverbs 12:15. A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. Proverbs 15:22 Plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. In Proverbs 19:20, listen to counsel and receive instruction so that you may be wise later in life. There's strength in numbers, especially when it comes to making godly decisions in our life. And when it comes to people, we must also think about how our pastors are meant to instruct us and will give an account for us. They keep watch over our souls, as Hebrews teaches us. But often we just pray. We'll just pray and maybe occasionally ask others to pray. And we neglect a thorough study of Scripture and reaching out to our brothers and sisters in Christ for instruction and for confirmation. Especially our pastors, who are our primary spiritual instructors. And why, why do we do this? Well, for some people, I think it's, it's simple ignorance. They've just never thought about it this way. You know, they've never been properly taught how to seek God's wisdom and make decisions in their life. Their decision-making practices are based more on American culture than the Bible. And American culture, including the Christian culture that we see here, prides independence and personal choice rather than the biblical characteristics of dependence and Authority and community council. But for others, I think it's intentional. They don't want the counsel of God's word and God's people because they fear that such counsel might contradict what they want to hear. Such people are a reflection of Ahab, the king of Israel. See, when Ahab was the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and Jehoshaphat joined Ahab for a battle. But before they went out to battle, Jehoshaphat asked Ahab, like, is there a prophet of the Lord that we could consult before we do this? And Ahab had already consulted his own false prophets who just told him what he wanted to hear. And after Jehoshaphat asked that question, here's what happened in 2 Chronicles 18.7. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there's still one man who can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. And I can picture the same kinds of things going through Christians' minds and hearts today, right? Like, I don't want to ask the pastor, what if he says we shouldn't do this? Let's just pray. 
Or, I don't need to see any more about what the Bible has to say about this. I know I'm right. That's foolishness and pride and arrogance. God's wisdom often comes through other people. We need scripture. We need the church. But we also do need to pray. None of these should be left out. And when we think about what James is teaching us about trials and suffering and, and how that relates to wisdom, we can see how this would transform our prayer life. And I want you to do something for a couple minutes. I want you to humor me. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. If you'd be willing to close your eyes, because the reason I'm doing this is because I want you to be in kind of a prayerful state. Because I'm about to imagine our prayers in the midst of uh, two weeks ago when I preached on, on the previous verses, I used certain examples of suffering and trials in our life. And I want to now imagine what our prayers would be like in the midst of those trials in seeking God's wisdom. Lord, I just found out I have cancer. I don't know which route to take for treatment or whether to get treatment at all. I need your wisdom. Lord, my loved one has died. I'm in so much pain right now. I can't see how to learn or grow through this. I'm in a tunnel of grief and I can't see through it. I need your wisdom. I need your help. Lord, this person sinned against me again. And I know you've called me to forgive, but I don't know if they're truly repentant. I need your wisdom in understanding how to love this person right now. Lord, I lost my job. I know you love me more than ravens and wildflowers, but I don't know what's coming next. I feel lost. I need your wisdom to help me have a vision for my life right now. Lord, our furnace broke today. It's cold and money is tight. This feels like needless suffering. I need your wisdom to see how we can use this time for your glory. Lord, our church closed again because of COVID. I don't understand how this is supposed to help us, but I know you have done amazing things through far gloomier circumstances. Help me see with your eyes. Help me adjust to these circumstances without taking a break from building up the body of Christ. Lord, our car just broke down in the middle of vacation. Why? Why could it not have been at the end? Why not even in a town with a mechanic? I know what Proverbs says. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's will that prevails. I just don't know what you can teach me in this right now. But I do know that if I just get angry and have a bad attitude, I won't be able to listen. Help me have the wisdom to keep my composure. Well, maybe that's it, God. Maybe I need to show my family and my children how, how it looks to keep things in the right perspective. They've seen me lose my composure so many times before. I'd really like to show them that I'm changing. Please give me the wisdom to use this opportunity. Lord, my daughter, my daughter came home today and 
She told me that she's pregnant. And I'm so angry. I want to love her and support her so that she's not tempted to abort the child. I need wisdom to handle this the right way so that she understands my disappointment and my anger, but also my unconditional love. I need wisdom in knowing how to support her without enabling more sinful patterns in her life. Lord, the power is out. Well, maybe we need some time without the distractions that come with electricity. Help us to use it wisely. Okay, God, it's been a week. We've had time without distractions. Is this still necessary? We used a lot of time well early on in this, but I'm running out of ideas and the house is getting tense. I need more wisdom. Lord, the house is gone. We had so many memories there. I know this world is not my home, but that structure was more than just wood and brick to me. Life is not going to look the same without it. I don't even know where we're going to sleep tonight. Without your wisdom, I won't be able to keep my head up through this. Okay, you can open your eyes. Prayer is important. It's a vital aspect of seeking God's wisdom. And it's not just important that we pray, but also how we pray. And when we pray, when we ask God for wisdom, we need to do it with an expectant heart. Remembering the character of the God that we're praying to. Verse 5 says that he gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. God is generous and ungrudging, unlike we tend to be. Right? We might give of our, of our time and our resources and parts of our life, but reluctantly. And even then, we hold grudges when we give to others and they misuse or disrespect our gift. Our hearts are like, sure, I'm happy to give to you, but I'll murder you in my heart if you don't use it the way that I want you to. I'll let my anger fester if you don't return the favor, and you can be sure I won't give to you again. Scott McKnight said, Humans may give grudgingly, either wishing they had not or only because they feel obliged. But God's grace flows in one direction. There's no backtracking or second-guessing in God, nor is there any criticism or backstabbing after giving. Praise God that he's not like us. And not only do we ask with an expectant heart, but we also must ask with a humble and submissive heart. Verses 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Now, when we read this, I think we're tempted to misunderstand what James is talking about when he says to ask without doubting. Okay, he's not saying that we should always be completely certain about everything. 
and, and never have any intellectual doubt. This isn't the kind of doubt that says, you know, God, I'm not sure what you're doing through this right now. Or, God, I'm not sure what the right path is right now. I'm not sure what you want. If we were sure about all of those things, then we wouldn't be asking for wisdom. It's expected that we're going to have some of that kind of doubt in our lives sometimes. But the key to understanding what James means is in his analogy. You see, this kind of doubt is the, kind, is the doubt that causes someone to be like the sea, tossed around by the waves and the wind. This kind of person has no direction in their life, but just blows where the wind blows. This is the kind of person who builds their house on sand instead of the rock. Verse 8 describes this person as being double-minded. Sam Albury said, In other words, the doubter is someone who wants to hedge their bets two ways. They'll ask God for wisdom, but they also look over their shoulder to see if anyone has anything better on offer. They'll check out what the Bible says, but they'll also check out what the wisdom of the world says. They don't believe God's ways will necessarily and always be the best ways. They are double-minded, trying to live in more than one direction at once. They think they can switch between worldly wisdom and God's wisdom at will and get the best of both. Two foundations are better than one, right? Now, this is not a matter of intellectual doubt. It's a matter of which master we serve. It's Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You see, this is the double-minded person. It's not someone who, who is seeking God's wisdom and is ready to obey it once it is found. It's someone who is seeking God's wisdom and is ready to weigh it once it is found. King Rehoboam was such a man. If you remember King Solomon from the Old Testament, he was David's son. You know, you, you might remember that he was the king of Israel who asked God for wisdom. And he asked with a, a single-minded, not a double-minded heart. And God gave generously. In fact, he gave so generously that the Bible says that Solomon was greater in wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. But after his reign, his son Rehoboam became king. And when that happened, the Israelites came to Rehoboam and they requested that he lighten the burden of the labor that was required from, from them. And Rehoboam first consulted his father's advisors. And Solomon, having been a wise man, had surrounded himself with wise counselors whose faces were turned to the, toward the Lord. And, and they told him, hey... If you'll be kind and, and, and merciful and, and compassionate to these people right now, you will win their hearts and they will follow you all of your life. But Rehoboam was a double-minded man. Double-minded people are not content with just going to God or godly people for counsel. They also go to the world. They live their lives like, God, give me your wisdom, but I'm also going to see what Dr. Phil has to say. Or, or, God, what does the Bible tell me to do here? I need to compare it with what Oprah tells me. Or, God, I know what my pastors in the church keep telling me, but my Facebook friends say, follow my heart. And so what did Rehoboam do? Well, he rejected the advice of the wise elders and instead went and consulted with his buddies that he had grown up with. And here's what they said in 1 Kings 12, 10 through 11. The young men who had grown up with him told him, 
This is what you should say to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. This is what you should tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Although my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with barbed whips. See, rather than listening to godly wisdom, which appealed to love and kindness and gentleness and respect, he listened to worldly wisdom, which appealed to power and abuse and retaliation. And the interesting thing about that choice is that his choice to do that actually set up the events that would lead to Jeroboam becoming the king, who would become notorious for being likely the most evil king in Israel's history. You see, double-minded people are like the ones on TV and movies who have the good self and the bad self standing on each shoulder, and they listen to what each one has to say and decide which they like the best. You see, uh, the doubter is not one who is unsure of what God wants. The doubter is someone who is unsure of if, if they want to do what God wants. And not only do they have an ineffective prayer life, but they are unstable in all their ways. You see, seeking counsel is wise. But we must make sure that we're seeking wise counsel from people who have a proven track record of following God's ways unlike Rehoboam. Seeking God's wisdom involves prayer, but not only prayer. When you find yourself in situations in life when you need God's wisdom, don't just pray and ask others to pray. Ask others for advice. Ask your pastors for their opinion. Dig deep into Scripture because leaving out Scripture and God's people, especially pastors, in our search for wisdom has led many Christians to make bad decisions. They end up going the wrong direction because they just left it to personal prayer and they didn't realize that there were truths in Scripture that they needed to understand. They didn't realize that they were looking through the wrong lens as they were seeking God's wisdom. They didn't realize that there might have been some sin in their life and heart that was putting a barrier between them as they tried to listen to God. You see, there's all kinds of things that can happen that keep us from finding wisdom. That's why we need all three of these. Because we can misunderstand God's leadings in our personal prayer life. We can misinterpret the Bible. We can get bad advice from the wrong people. But when we put all three together in a healthy way, especially in a healthy church, we are, have such a great greater chance of finding God's wisdom and knowing his will. You see, we, the only way that we can accomplish what James called us to in verses 2 through 4 is with God's wisdom. The only way we can move forward in the book of James and become the hearers and doers that he calls us to is with God's wisdom. Cherish God's wisdom. It's more valuable than all the other goods on this earth. I would encourage you, after hearing this message, to go back and read Job 28 again to yourself. You know, some people don't even want wisdom. But that should not be us. 
A lot of people don't know where to find God's wisdom, but that should not be us. Look to his word. Consult, seek wise counsel from people, godly people who have proven themselves to be faithful. And pray, pray with an expectant heart, pray with a humble heart, pray with a submissive heart, ready to do whatever it is you find in your search for God's wisdom. Let's pray. God, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. Lord, what a beautiful, beautiful words from James and from Psalms and Proverbs and Timothy and from Jesus and from the stories of the Old Testament that you... That you've given us that give us clear examples of these things that we're learning Lord it's it's amazing the the scriptures that you've given us they're amazing and what would our Christian life be without them Lord we are so thankful that you're a God who wants to give us wisdom and that you're a God who not only wants to give but you want to give generously and ungrudgingly And you've given us these avenues of finding your wisdom, Lord. We have your word and we have your people and we have your Holy Spirit inside of us that that is there when we pray. And God, I pray that we would not neglect any one of those. But that you would just move us. Lord, move us closer to yourself. Move us closer to your perspective. Give us your wisdom. And I pray that when we understand it, that we would be willing to just obey it. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.